That'll do. Alright, good to see you guys. Uh, if you've been on this journey for us, uh, I mean, it hasn't been a long journey so far. Uh, we're just getting going on this, but if you've been with us for a while, you, you know some of the story of where we've gone. Uh, we went for a long time on a journey through the book of Acts, just trying to look at what does it mean to be a church. Uh, and that was a really, uh, I, I feel like my eyes were opened in a lot of ways, that, that even scriptures that I'd known since I was a kid, uh, I was seeing in a different light. And it was just really great to see uh, God kind of bring those things in the fresh way that, that only God can. So we looked at what it means to be a church, and now we've kind of turned the corner into looking at what kind of a church should we be. So we have a perspective on what a church is. Now, what does it mean for us to be us and be the church that God wants us to be? Uh, because it's one thing to be going somewhere, and it's another thing to be knowing where you're headed, right? Uh, I had the great joy of teaching my daughter, my middle daughter, who's now eight. Uh, I didn't have to think about that like it looked. I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, my middle daughter, Sophie. Uh, if you don't know Sophie, Sophie is just a great joy. That girl is so full of like life and drama and vibrancy and all these wonderful, beautiful things. Uh, I had the great privilege of teaching her how to ride her bike a while back, and uh, we were on the sidewalk out in front of her house, and it was just one of those, you know, nice, straight sidewalks, and I remember, you know, I would try and get her going. Every time I got her going, uh, she's trying her best to think about all the things she has to do all at the same time, right, and she ends up, she's just staring at the sidewalk right in front of the bike, just trying desperately to stay on that sidewalk. Uh, why she pedaled and remembered to do all these other things that she needed to do. Uh, but every time she was veering off into the grass right next to it. And I was frustrated. Uh, I, I'm not known for having the greatest patience in the world. That would be my wife, which again is how our relationship works. Um, but I was like, all right, I think if we can get her off of a sidewalk that's narrow and we can get her onto a bigger surface you know, she might have a chance at this thing yet, right? So we went over to the tennis court um, that was around the corner from her house, and uh, I remember just kind of giving her that initial launch push, and she got going on that bike, and it was beautiful because uh, she was getting her pedaling going. You could see her focusing, and pretty soon we noticed that as she's going, she can only go to the right like this, <laughs> right? And I'm sitting there thinking, like, do I say something or do I just let her go? And she's driving around, driving around, and all of a sudden you see this big smile come across her face. She just goes, Woo! She says, I don't know where I'm going, but at least I'm going somewhere. <laughs> uh, it was very true. But if we're not careful, that can be us, right? That as a church, we can say, we can focus on all these things that are right before us. Uh, and, and just be happy that we're going uh, without ever really thinking about where it is that we should be headed, right? And so for Sophie, uh, I, I had to train her. Sophie, pick your head up. You know, look at me far away from you, and as you focus on me and focus on that, then you'll be able to go straight, and sure enough, eventually she was able to straighten that out. So that's what we're doing in this series that we're talking through is we're trying to pick our head up and say, what is this direction? What is this course? What is this picture of who God wants us at South Bend City Church to be? And how can we be headed in the direction towards being that? 
And so we're focused on the, this focal point down the road, uh, like Sophie had to pick her head up and focus on me. The focal point for us is this phrase that we want to become a community of grace and peace for our city and the world. That's who we are. That's the point we want to focus on so that it guides who we become, right? And so last week, Jason started us in the conversation on that. And he looked at the fact that we want to be a community and how important that is, that there's something very important and very necessary about not walking through this faith journey all along our own. That's not how we were made. That's not what we see from God and how he interacted with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. We are people that are made to walk through life with each other. And so for us to be who we want to be, we always need to be thinking about what it means to be together what it means to be on this journey walking together and leaving no person behind and leaving no one as a second-class citizen. It's important for us to be a community. Tonight, we're gonna talk that next step then is what does it mean for us to be a community of grace? Community of grace. Well, to look at what it means for us to be a community of grace, I want us to start just looking at what does grace itself look like? What does grace mean? Often, when we think about grace, uh, ideas of mercy and forgiveness come up, right? Uh, growing up as a kid, the first time I had a concept of grace, it was with a library, right? There was that grace period, and it was the period that uh, you didn't deserve for them not to get mad at you for keeping your book too long, but they did it anyway just to be nice, right? And so in that grace period, the consequences that were coming to you got held off for a little bit. And so that was my first concept of grace. And in there, again, is, is mercy and forgiveness, maybe, that they were showing us. There's also uh, theology in how we understand grace. And oftentimes, as we talk about grace, uh, and as we talk about grace related to God, it's, it's just tied up in these mercy and forgiveness kinds of ways. The next way I knew about grace growing up as a kid was that uh, grace was that thing that kept me from going to hell like I deserved. Uh, and that's what grace was. And I was thankful for that. Uh, it was good that there was grace there and that God showed kindness and mercy and forgiveness to me in that way. Maybe that's how you've grown up hearing about grace. And maybe you have baggage associated with that. I had baggage associated with that um, from only hearing about that, that grace is that thing that keeps me from all of these bad things happening to me. And I'm just thankful that it's there so that those things don't happen like they should. But if we're gonna talk about what it means for us to focus on grace and what it means for us to be a community of grace, there's some other uh, frameworks that I want us to think about as we talk about what grace means and what grace means for us. One of those things is looking at uh, how grace is used in the Bible. The word that's translated grace in the New Testament is charis, and that's translated as grace. And sometimes we say it's uh, God's uh, unmerited favor, you know, God's goodness that we've done nothing to deserve. To deserve. And there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, but there's another word uh, that was used in the Old Testament uh, that scholars have said the Old Testament, this word in the Old Testament and charis or grace in the New Testament uh, are representing some of the same ideas about God. And the word in the Old Testament was this Hebrew word that was chesed. Everybody say chesed. 
How many of you spit on your neighbor while you did that? It's really kind of gross, right? So chesed, and chesed, instead of being translated as grace, even though it has similar meanings, uh, chesed was translated as loving kindness. Loving kindness. Now that's interesting to think of grace as loving kindness. Loving kindness as it was used was talking about this extraordinary, I like the word extraordinary, right? Like out of the ordinary, this extraordinary unearned goodness towards someone else. Loving kindness, out of the ordinary, unearned goodness towards someone else. And the interesting thing about that word, about loving kindness, about the chesed, is that there has to both be a a giver and a receiver. It's not just generically being a good person or generically being a kind person. It's about how you treat someone else. That grace very much is about uh, the interaction between two or more people. Hesed, loving kindness, unearned goodness. And so in that, as we're talking about unearned goodness and loving kindness, it, it, it does, it includes forgiveness and mercy in there. That is definitely a part of what grace is. But grace, loving kindness, is also so much more than that. There's an entire chapter in the Psalms, an entire song in the Psalms that is committed uh, to talking about the loving kindness of God. And it goes through all these lists of all these ways that God shows his loving kindness or grace to us. And there's some interesting things in there. Uh, In God's grace to us is quite simply, one of the things is that God created this beautiful creation for us. So we often don't think about this way, but as we see and experience the goodness of creation, we are experiencing God's surprising loving kindness shown to us. In our yard right now, uh, even when it's snowing, we have flowers that are peeking up through the snow. And as we look at those flowers and we say, what strange, beautiful things, uh, thing that is happening here in my yard. And we say, in that, I'm experiencing God's goodness, God's loving kindness, God's grace in the middle of that. I'm a huge waterfall fan. Every time I look at a waterfall and I'm amazed by the power that's there, by the beauty that's there, I'm getting to experience this loving kindness, this goodness, this grace that God is showing when we see uh, the majesty of canyons that have been carved by rivers through rocks through millions of years, we can look at that and say, look at God's goodness of what he is creating for us in the world and how we get to experience that. God's goodness, his grace fill these things. We see God's loving kindness when we're told that God uh, was friends with Abraham that Abraham was a friend of God. So it's not just about God rescuing him from the bad things, but just God walking alongside of this flawed individual like the rest of us to the point that he was called a friend of God. There's God's goodness in the midst of that. We see God's goodness, God's loving kindness in Jesus as he came upon the lepers who he wasn't supposed to get anywhere near Uh, according to their laws and their customs. And yet not only did he get near to them, but he reached out and he touched them when you definitely were not supposed to touch them. And in touching them, he healed them. But in that touch was grace. 
in that touch was loving kindness. In that touch was God's extraordinary goodness. So grace does include forgiveness and mercy, but it also includes so much more. So as we talk about what it means for us to be a community of grace, think about God's loving kindness, God's goodness in the middle of things. But there's a second uh, kind of framework that I want us to think about, and it's something that Peter Rollins introduced to us when he came. How many of you guys were here when Peter came early? That was, that was a long time ago yet, right? So he came and he talked about uh, the thoughts of a French philosopher named Simone Weil, who uh, wrote about this concept of gravity and grace. And in the concept of gravity and grace, you have gravity, which she describes as the way the world normally works. So when I say gravity, try and get beyond just like science of throwing a ball up and it falling, right? Gravity, she describes, is the way the world works, the systems of the world, the patterns of the world, the learned habits and ways that we treat each other and the way we act. The way life just always has been and people have always acted is gravity. But she says grace is goodness that breaks the pattern. Right? You're used to the world working in one way, and then every once in a while you come across this goodness that, that is so different from the way everything else works that it stands out and is noticeable. It's surprising, and that's grace. Grace isn't just God's goodness. Grace is surprising goodness, something that stands out because it's so different from the normal way of the world. And so we see this throughout the Bible. We see a God who is full of loving kindness, that breaks through the way the, normally, the world normally works. We see a God who overloads the world with surprising goodness over and over again. We see a God in scriptures who is full of grace. Uh, I do wanna step back for a second and say, as we talk about this, I understand that there may be some in here that are uncertain about God, or maybe even you're convinced that there's not enough evidence for his existence. And if you're in that spot, I, tonight I invite you just to think about what it looks like to simply flood the world with surprising goodness, or as we call it, grace. We recognize as a church, uh, we believe that God is the source of that goodness, but we want you to walk through and have a safe spot to walk through that with us, even if you're not in the same place. See God's surprising goodness, see surprising goodness in the world and recognize that as a better way. Okay, so as we seek to understand grace further, uh, I wanna start with a story that we see in Romans 5 of God's surprising goodness. So it's there in your programs, it's the last passage. We didn't do a separate insert this time because it's just a little short one. But let's read this story of God's surprising goodness together and then talk about it. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for the ungodly. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God shows his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still off course, or many translations would say, while we are still sinners. So in this, in this interesting story of God's surprising goodness, we see this path towards grace, this path to God's surprising goodness. And the first part of the path I want us to look at is reality. Reality. We see in verse six, as we're seeing the story of God's goodness, it, it first describes uh, the people who experienced the goodness in these ways. In verse six, it says they were utterly helpless. 
later it says that they were ungodly or they, impious, that they, they had no interest or respect for following God uh, or trying to be religious. And then in the end of verse eight there, it describes the people as still off course uh, 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 of missing the mark, of not being on the path towards God, right? So it's interesting that before it goes into God's goodness, it starts with this, this very clear description of reality of what's really going on. In grace, surprising goodness starts with reality. It doesn't avoid it. It's too easy to talk about grace facelessly where goodness is detached from reality. There's a difference between just being kind and being kind to maybe that family member who's constantly been a thorn in your side. There's a difference between just being a good person or a kind person and being kind towards that person that insults that thing or that position that you hold dearly, right? It's different when the kindness isn't faceless. It's different when we start with reality and clarity. And surprising goodness starts firmly planted in reality. It starts with, I see you. I see you. I see who you really are. Not as some faceless person with no story, but I see who you really are. And sometimes reality is messy. Sometimes our reality is painful. Sometimes our reality is destructive. This is reality. And if God has a story of goodness for us, it starts with understanding and claiming and accepting that reality. So we're gonna do some exercises here. And right now, I just want you right where you're at. If you feel comfortable doing this, do it with me. If not, that's fine. Uh, put both feet on the floor. And I just wanna think about reality. If we're gonna go through this journey of grace, let's start with reality. So if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes and take a deep breath. Just think about these questions. What is reality for you? Who are you? What is your story? What are you experiencing? What labels do people use to define you? Just think for a second. What is reality for you? Okay, you can come back together. We'll come back into this a little more as we go down this path. But understanding the path to God's surprising goodness starts with who we really are and what we're really going through. The second part of the path from reality that we see in this story is it moves from reality into an understanding of gravity, the way the world normally works. Verse seven says, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Now, an upright person uh, isn't just a person that isn't doing things wrong, but it, it, it's a pious or unsympathetic person. It's an uppity person, right? Maybe you've known somebody or experienced somebody like that in your life, right? So it's saying, now, now while, we, while, while the people in this story that God's showing his goodness to were helpless, ungodly, and off course, is saying that, that some people might show help 
to somebody who uh, isn't doing anything wrong but isn't necessarily likable either, right? You might find somebody who's willing to but not likely. And then it goes on uh, in the second part of verse 7 there, and it says, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, right? So uh, even if somebody's not doing something wrong, it's going to be hard to find somebody who who might help them. Uh, And maybe if it's somebody who's really good and really likable and really empathetic, maybe you can think of people like that. So maybe there would be people who would be willing to come to the rescue of those people, Uh, But in this passage, it's acknowledging that we find ourselves in places where it just isn't in the cards for anyone to do anything about it, right? Sometimes our reality is just in a place where it's not in the cards for anyone to do anything about it. Sometimes it's for economic reasons, right? We find ourselves in a tough spot, and for whatever economic reasons, there's no help on the horizon. We're just stuck in it. Sometimes people aren't ready or willing to offer goodness for emotional reasons to us. Sometimes it's because, quite honestly, people have harmful biases that keep them from extending goodness to people in the situations that they're in. There's a lot of negative reasons, but there's sometimes uh, gravity is what it is. Sometimes the world works the way it does, and it's not for bad reasons, but it's still not good enough. In the situation of the people with leprosy, uh, gravity was, the, the way the world worked was people didn't touch them. Well, why didn't they touch them? Because if they touched them, they might get leprosy themselves, right? It's not that they're being hateful towards that community. It's not that necessarily that, that they're being uh, harmfully biased against them, but touching them would mean negative consequences for themselves. So the world worked in a way that just said, you stay away from them because bad things might happen. In our current refugee situation, there are people that are out there that are fleeing war, and and, and the gravity says that there's a lot of times that people are hesitant to do much to help, and it's not necessarily uh, because people uh, hate them or have uh, bad feelings towards them, but sometimes gravity is the way it is because people are scared or, or trying to stay safe or a a variety of other reasons, right? Sometimes the world just is the way it is, and sometimes it's for bad reasons, and sometimes it's for reasons that are just complicated. But we find ourselves in places in life where sometimes there just isn't anyone there to show goodness. I want you to go back to that place, if you can. Back to your uh, feet on the ground. Take another deep breath. Remember the reality that you just walked into, that you were just reminded of, whatever the labels were, whatever it was you were thinking about. I want you to think about the reality of that situation. How does the world normally work for you? What is the gravity that you experience in that situation? How does the world normally work for you? I want you to now think of others. Think of somebody else who may be hurting or having a tough time. What is their experience of gravity? What's the normal way the world treats them? 
All right, let's come back together. God's surprising goodness starts with who we are, but it also recognizes the way the world normally works. But the last step of the path is finally moving to grace. In verse eight, it says, but God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still off course. So finally it moves to grace. It's saying that, that even though the normal response is this, for whatever you're going through, the normal response from the world is this, but God surprises us with the goodness that he has for us and the goodness that he wants for us. The word it uses there, it says God showed his great love. That word love is agape. Maybe you've heard lots of lessons like I have on the different words for love in the Greek. Uh, there's all sorts of love such as brotherly love, or a romantic love, and often agape gets told as unconditional love, and that certainly is a part of it, but it was used beyond talking about God's unconditional love. The word agape was a love of choice, a love of chosen preference, that you would look at somebody and you would say, I choose to love you, not necessarily because of how I feel, not necessarily because uh, it seems like the right thing to do, but because I choose to love you. And this is what God is doing in this situation. He's showing a love beyond feelings or selfish motivations. For God, we see grace as I see you, and I know how normal looks in this situation, and I choose goodness for you. I choose grace. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for how we experience grace? Well, the story here of God is a story of a God who sees our reality. He knows who you are. He knows the labels put on you. He knows the things you've done. He knows the things you've gone through. He sees you. He has no false expectations. He has no buyer's remorse. God sees your reality. God sees and knows the way the world normally works. He sees the natural consequences. He sees the reactions from others. He sees and knows the feelings that you carry. And God wants you to know that he wants to breathe his goodness into that so that you can experience his goodness in the midst of that. If God does that, what does it mean for how we look at ourselves? One more time, I want you to go back to that place. Take a deep breath. You've seen your reality. You know how the world treats you. But here we're seeing a story where goodness wants to break into that. I want you to just focus on accepting the reality that there is goodness there for you and allowing that goodness to break in. There is goodness for you. All right, let's come back together. So now that we have some perspective on grace, the question is, what does it mean for us to be a community of grace? What does it mean for grace to be here in the midst of who we are and in the midst of what we're doing? What are we forming together? What kind of a people are we going to be? What kind of a group is this? When we come together, what do we offer others? What, what do I have to offer you who shows up here in this community? 
And what can we hope for other, from others as you come here from wherever you're going through, whatever your reality looks like, whatever the gravity of your situation looks like, what can you expect to receive from others when you come into this community together of South Bend City Church? Does the community that we form together just become one more uh, piece of evidence backing up the way the world has always worked over and over again? Do we just become yet another proof of the story you've already learned or do we form a community that breathes a surprising different goodness into each other's lives as we move forward? What kind of a community do we become? And so we see that in different practices that we have. We see that in our practice of communion or the Eucharist right, that, that for us, we recognize that Jesus wanted everybody at his table who wanted to be there. And so when we celebrate communion together, when we celebrate the Eucharist together, we're going against a gravity that labels people and separates people and says that Jesus wants everybody at his table. And as we come together, we come together as an act of grace, as God's surprising goodness that goes beyond the walls. I also like to think, this is really cheesy, but uh, the Undercover Boss TV show, I don't know if you've watched that, uh, but I love that TV show because it, there's an element of grace in there, right? That whenever the boss goes undercover, at the end there's always like prizes he hands out. Let's say grace, all right? There's always grace that the, that the boss hands out at the end. But the great thing about it is the grace is always rooted in the reality of what the person is going through, right? So uh, he'll work alongside uh, a, a working father who doesn't get to spend time with his kids. And so the grace at the end is, hey, I've heard your story. I've heard your reality. And so what I'm going to do for you is send you away with your kids to spend time with them for a while at Disneyland or something like that. Or, or it'll be somebody else who's uh, reality means that they, they had to stop schooling that they were a part of, and that's always been a source of, of shame or pain for them. And so the boss says, I hear the pain you felt over that, and so I'm going to show goodness by sending you back to school or whatever it is. So you have uh, this story of people coming together and saying, I see who you are. I'm going to pay attention, and I'm going to listen to what you're really going through. I'm not going to just, just do random acts of goodness. Uh, I'm going to do specific acts of grace based on your reality and contrary to your gravity. What would it look like for us to be a community that does that together? What does it mean for us to look at someone else and see their reality and see their gravity and breathe God's goodness into that? To look at others and say, I want God's goodness for you. I choose you. And what would this together look like? If we were doing that consistently, what would that community look like and feel like to be a part of? And on the other side of that, for that to happen, what does it mean for us to let someone else look at us? What does it look like for me to let you look at me and know who I really am, to know my reality? Say, I, I'll let you see it. You see the real me and see my gravity and what does it look like for me to open myself up for you to show me goodness that actually fits with who I am and what I'm going through? And if we use that kind of authenticity, what would this community look like if that's what we did consistently? 
We opened ourselves up. We were real. We took the masks off. We said, I want you to see the real me, and I need you to speak God's goodness into that. We're gonna do one last activity tonight before we leave. That's gonna provide some background music for us. All right, so these two sections right here, uh, I want you guys, if you're comfortable doing this, you don't have to do this. If you're comfortable doing this, I just want you to uh, put your heads down uh, in a peaceful place and just breathe deeply. And I'll give you instructions coming up in a second. And then you two sections right here at first, you guys, I want you to keep your head up. And we're just gonna process grace together. So these sections here, I want you to look across from you, just look at your fellow church family across from you. And I want you to think this, repeat this in your head and your heart as you look across at your church family. Here we go. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever words some may use to describe you, there is surprising goodness for you. And I'm going to work toward that. Again, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever words some may use to describe you, there is goodness for you and I'm going to work towards that. As you keep repeating that to yourselves, those of you with your heads down in this section, I want us to work on receiving that grace. Process this with me. Whatever I am, whatever I've done, whatever words describe me, there is surprising goodness for me. I'm going to receive that. Whatever I am, whatever I've done, whatever words describe me, there is goodness for me. I choose to receive that. All right, we're gonna switch places now so you guys can awaken. And you guys, if you feel comfortable, you can put your head down and process the receiving end of things. On the showing of grace, again, just look across at your church family across from you. Maybe you know somebody, maybe it was a friend, maybe not but pray this or process this for them. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever words some may use to describe you, there is surprising goodness for you. I'm committed to work toward that. Those who are receiving in this practice, process and pray this, whatever I am, Whatever I've done, whatever words describe me, there is surprising goodness for me. I choose to receive that. for us to be a community, but not just a community, a community of grace that's honest about our realities, that understands the gravity that we and others experience and understand that God's way is different, that he has a goodness for us and a goodness for all that we come across and we work towards that together. Go ahead and stand with me as we close tonight. 
As we leave, uh, there's a lot of things. You can hang out in here and talk. You can go down. Baker's, the restaurant and bar is open down there. We can go and spend some good time together down there. The atrium out there, which is the big open area under the glass, there's lots of chairs and seating. You can just go hang out in there and talk to people. I encourage you that that time together is as important as anything we do in here together as well, right? And I encourage you as you go out to consider having a conversation with someone about what surprising goodness or grace means for you and what God's surprising goodness or grace means for others. Have those conversations. Spend that time together. I'm gonna pray this benediction for us as we go. May you, as you go, go in the experience that there is a God with grace for you, a God who sees you, the real you, He sees what you go through. He knows the way the world normally acts. And may you know and experience a God who pours his goodness out for you over and over. Grace and peace be with you. Have a good night.